We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. Derek Van Riper here with Tag Whalen. It's going to be a great episode, I can already tell. If you've listened to this podcast for a long time and you really like it, please leave us a nice review. We would greatly appreciate it if you could take the time to do it. Thanks to those of you who have already done that. It's our podcast tip jar. we got some top news items to get to. We're going to take a look at the Thursday preseason games, a debut coming from Zeke Elliott. That could be a big deal. More Dak Prescott. Why not? Plenty to like in that game. Uh, I've got some ideal draft position talk, too. A lot of leagues out there, you can choose your draft slot depending on uh, like a random draw, right? So if you've got a 12-team league, everybody's name goes into a hat. First name pulled out can choose whether they want to take the first overall pick, the ninth overall pick, whatever. We'll give you a sense of where exactly we want to be if we get those choices for this year's player pool. All right, Tag, what's what's going on? How's, how's your day going so far? It's going well until, you know, you refer to me as Tag. I 
wore a new shirt to the office yesterday, a shirt that I recently purchased from, I think it was H&M. Right. A great retailer in the Madison area and worldwide. Um, first time I'd ever worn the shirt. Yeah, it's totally worldwide. No, I know David Beckham or somebody. So they have someone famous that endorses their stuff. Yeah. We, yeah, we're, we're, this is not actually a paid endorsement. This yeah, is well, I'm working towards that. Um, but I wore the shirt to the office. Um, you know, it was probably got in around nine o'clock. I think I went to go get a drink out in the hallway. Um, and I, I noticed something, you know, brushing up against my neck. Turned out it was a tag, you know, which comes standard with most new shirts. I removed the tag. I threw the tag away, sat down, uh, back at my desk and figured out that basically everyone sitting behind me in the office, which is several people had already noticed said tag and chose not to tell me for probably an hour plus. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'm just tagged now. Yeah, you are. You are just tagged now and it's okay. It's a good nickname, but the thing is this office has a terrible track record of helping people out. There's yes. one day I was outside coach soccer. I was outside for three hours. So I had some sunscreen on. I came in to record a podcast. I put on my headphones, took off my headphones, went to get lunch. While I'm at lunch, I go in the bathroom to wash my hands. I look in the mirror and my ears are just covered in like big chunks of black foam which looked awful. It looked like one of the most disgusting things ever. So I'm sitting there kind of peeling it off, and I realized it was the inside of my headphones that was starting to disintegrate. And because of my, like, I had sunscreen on my ears, it just was sticky. Did that, like, accelerate the process of headphone disintegration? Yeah, it just further, it just further wrecked my headphones. And nobody, there were 12 people that saw me walk out of the office. I probably talked to three or four people on my way out the door at least three or four people saw it. There's no way that all 12 people didn't see it. Maybe they thought no it was a health condition, anything. though. Maybe, maybe they thought you had leprosy or something, and they didn't want to you know, touch the, what would have literally been a sore subject. I wasn't going to ask anyone to, well, to, yeah, I thought you were say literally touch my ears. But no, like the thing is, is I obviously, obviously didn't have any sign of this previously. So these types of things should not just appear out of nowhere. And if, if you walked in the office and you had big black chunks on your ears, be like, hey, man, something's up with your ears. Like I'd politely tell you, yeah, but yeah, I would, I would hope so. But you didn't tell me about the tag. Well, I didn't tell you about the tag because the ear thing happened to me first. Like I, you, oh, you, this is some sort of like twisted revenge. No, it's not revenge on you. It's just that's that's the lay of the land. I no, got burned fair. by this a week ago, so I'm like, all right. No, I'm, tag's all, pretty I'm all harmless. about stuff like this. If you came in with the, with a big tag on the back of your shirt, I wouldn't be rushing to tell you. you I'd, be rush, I'd be rushing to tell everybody else except you. You might want to check the the neck right now. I think your tag was sticking up as we were leaving lunch. Yeah. Yeah. DJ pointed it out. He's like, hey, check it out. Oh, yeah. Well, this is different. I, obviously, this is not a visual <laughs> podcast. You can't see. This is also, this is just a t shirt that the tag is attached. You know, this is not a removable tag unless I cut it. Yeah. Different scenario. Well, all right. Let's talk football. Let's go football. Yeah. Joey Bosa, tag, you know, franchise tag. Franchise in the future, tag. Maybe? Yeah. I was trying to come up with something. <laughs> Couldn't, couldn't get the deal done yet. Doesn't seem like anything is really going to happen anytime soon, which maybe means that things will rapidly progress and something actually will happen. Uh, the way this works is Bosa's camp apparently wants the $17 million signing bonus in its entirety by the end of the year. Chargers offering 85% up front. I mean, doesn't seem like they're that far off. Right. I, I think... For us, you know, and for for non you know NFL front office people and NFL agents, it seems kind of you know seventeen million dollars. I don't know what eighty five percent of that is. What you know, fourteen, fifteen million. Like, doesn't it seem like it's not that big of a deal? But I think it, to me, it's almost more of a precedent thing. You know, I think like like you mentioned uh, before the podcast, the Chargers have a history of kind of you know being a little bit more rigid with these type of negotiations, and you know it's nothing really new for them. Um, and my understanding is that. 
you know, most top five picks don't really have trouble with these type of negotiations. So I think it's, you know, Bosa's camp unwilling to give in the chargers also unwilling to give in, you know, on their part. The problem is it kind of comes off, you know, to the casual fan as, you know, it's kind of been spun as Joey Bosa, you know, is holding out, you know, he's kind of the, he's been villainized in this process when, you know, maybe that is somewhat true. You know, he, he could, you know, if he, if he really wants to, you know, quote unquote, just go out and play football, he could go do that, but you don't want to, you don't want to be the guy who kind of sets that precedent and, and gives in, I guess, to the organization before you've ever even played a snap. So very complicated situation. Luckily one that's not really going to have many fantasy ramifications. Yeah. Well, think of it this way. If there were a draft of podcast hosts and you were taken third overall and I was taken fifth overall, but the team that drafted me gave me all my bonus money in the first year and I signed before you, well, you'd think, okay, I was taking two spots ahead of DVR. I should get my entire bonus over the course of this year as well. That's what happened. Mm -hmm. Jalen Ramsey with the Jags getting all the bonus money. Great organization. Yeah. I mean, flawless organization. First, first rate. Never happened there. Yep. No, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it kind of comes off as Bosa looking like he's a little jealous or, you know, whatever the right word is. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a precedent to be set there and, you know, I think you kind of want to get what's yours. And if you're drafted, you know, in a similar slot or a couple slots ahead of another player who gets those kind of benefits, it's reasonable to think you'd want them as well. So some other uh, business related news from the NFL, the Raiders have filed the paperwork necessary to get a trademark in Las Vegas. The uh, Las Vegas Raiders could be one step closer to happening. It seems like it's been a realistic threat all along. Mm -hmm. I didn't really look at it as non-credible prior to this. Uh, So with this, I mean, what are we thinking? Maybe a year out, we could be talking about the Las Vegas Raiders? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be, you know, maybe a year out it becomes official, and then, you know, two years out is when they start playing there. Obviously, there's no stadium in in las vegas right now so i mean that's a two to three year process you know the approvals process things like that i think it would probably end up being a longer timeline than you know than one or two years maybe more in the four or five even six years depending on you know uh, you know how the the city i guess would go about financing that um you know there'd probably be some sort of backlash you would think from the city of oakland trying to keep the team so i mean things like this are always complicated but i mean like you said it's been rumored for these last couple years obviously with the stadium negotiations in Oakland kind of falling through, it looks like it's a little more realistic than ever. I almost wonder if the organization would be so brash as to play a season like in London or something like that, where they're just like, you know what, we're going to do this just because we'll grow interest in our team for a year overseas and then our stadium's ready. Or if they play some games at Sam Boyd stadium, the capacity is only 40,000 at UNLV UNLV? stadium. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest option happening. That's like half the size of a typical NFL stadium. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think the London thing is interesting. You know, a lot, a lot of things would have to happen for that to become realistic, but you know, the league has certainly set a precedent these last few years, sending the Jags over there every year for a game. And, you know, I think are there two or three London games this season. And I think there's been talks of playing a game uh, in China next year, opening the season. I want to say it was China, China or Japan. One of those two, one of the two, um, one of those countries, yeah, in one Asia. Of those, a far East country. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's something the NFL as a whole, you know, I don't know how the Raiders themselves would feel about that, but you would think the NFL as a whole would almost rather, do, you know, if it's between playing games at a half capacity college stadium in the middle of the desert or playing them in a very large European city that already has somewhat of an established fan base. You know, I could see that being beneficial to the league, but we'll see. I mean, it's all speculation at this point. Yeah, we're just we're really just guessing. Uh, moving on to some more player-centric matters. Jeremy Langford was cleared for full participation Thursday. Uh, he missed some practices earlier in this week, had a minor foot injury, suffered against the Patriots, but he's expected to be out there uh, for the Bears' third preseason game against the Chiefs. There's been a lot of hate 
in the direction of Jeremy Langford, mostly because there's concerns about whether or not he can actually be an every down back. The per carry numbers last year were bad. Uh, this is a guy that had a really impressive 40 time at the combine in 2015, piled up a lot of yardage at Michigan State. So, you know, he maybe follows a, a path similar to Le'Veon Bell, who came into the league and, and disappointed in year one, but has been a star really ever since. Most people seem to be betting against that. Are you taking Jeremy Langford in round five, round six, where he's been going in many drafts so far this summer? No, no, I'm not. I think, you know, whether it's auction or, or traditional draft, he's not a guy that I'm going to try to go out and get. He's a guy that if he falls for whatever reason, you know, whether it be dollar value or, you know, where you're looking seventh, eighth round, you're trying to fill out your second running back, then maybe you take him just because he's the best value available. Uh, but like you said, I, mean, I don't think he's going to be Le'Veon Bell. That's probably, you know, the absolute best, best case scenario. And, you know, we really, there's not a whole lot of precedent for running backs starting as slowly uh, as these two guys did and, you know, jumping up considerably to, you know, probably the best running back in the league when healthy, uh, like Le'Veon Bell now is. But the argument in favor of Lankford is this is an offense that, you know, doesn't have a great passing game. We don't really know what we're going to get from Kevin White. Obviously, they have Al- Alshon Jeffrey, but outside of that, this isn't going to be, you know, a team that's going to sling the ball or want to sling the ball 40 times per game. So the opportunity should be there. There's, you know, there are a couple backs behind Jeremy Langford, but nobody that you really look at as, you know, if, if Langford starts out slow in week one or two, he is, he's really in danger of losing this job. So it might not be a good offense, but the opportunity is going to be there. Yeah, I feel like he gets pretty much the whole season, at least the first half of the season yeah. to establish himself. He's averaging three yards a carry after week it, eight. Yeah, I mean, even if he gets off move. to a slow start, it's hard to see you know, Jordan Howard or Kadeem Carey playing so well, you know, where they could just run away with that job. I think in the worst case scenario, you know, a healthy scenario, that is if Lankford were to lose the job midseason, Jordan Howard would be the primary ball carrier, but then like Jacquez Rogers would yeah, come catch it, like six passes a game. Right. Like, in this backfield, it's just hard to see there being, if it's not going to be Lankford, it's hard to see there being one guy who you can depend on week in and week out. I think if he were to fade or get hurt, you know, it becomes a two to three back system. Giants are very optimistic that Victor Cruz is going to play Saturday against the Jets. I saw Woody Johnson uh, tweeting about Springsteen on Monday night and a few days away were Giants and Jets. I'm like, what a true NFL owner, like just being jacked up for the Giants-Jets preseason game that fans have to pay full price for if they're season ticket holders. Like, that's that's great. Like, Thanks. Thanks, Woody. <laughs> wait, wait, wait to feign excitement over something that on, you can't possibly be excited about. But as Victor Cruz goes, is there anything left in the tank at all? I, I just I look at the Giants receiving core and I see Odell Beckham doing his thing. Sterling Shepard having a great opportunity as the number two. But a lot of questions as to what exactly is going to happen after those two, especially if Cruz just isn't the same player anymore. And given the nature of his injury, the length of his layoff, it doesn't seem all that much of a stretch to expect him to be significantly less of a player than he was prior to getting hurt. Right. That's that's what I was just going to say is what is the what is the best case scenario here? Is he he kind of sneaks onto the team and maybe gives you, you know, eight to ten games of relatively healthy production? I just, I just don't see it. I think if anything, the worry for me as a, as a Sterling Shepherd owner is Victor Cruz, you know, is, is just healthy enough to make, you know, a nominal impact and kind of take away from any value that Sterling Shepard has. Yeah, that's pretty much the way it breaks down for me as well. I don't see like Dwayne Harris or um, Jeremy Davis or any of those guys. I mean, being... I'm not even spending like a 12th round pick on Victor Cruz or, or a dollar at the end. I just, I just I'm don't just see it. I don't, it's, I mean, it, 
for lack of a better term, it sucks. You know, he was a really, really, really good player two years ago, three years ago. Um, but it's, it's just not worth the investment to me at this point. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just, I, I look at it and see so little upside that I haven't taken the chance in any of my leagues. And I don't think that's going to change regardless of what mm-hmm. he shows us Saturday against the Jets. It's a great story if he makes it back, but I'm not banking on it at this point. Uh, Joe Flacco is going to be on the field for approximately a half on Saturday. He hasn't played in a game this preseason. Of course, he had season-ending knee surgery in November. Uh, you think about Flacco, and he's just one of those low-end QB2s that nobody really gets excited about, kind of like Andy Dalton. Right. But uh, Andy Dalton had a good year last year on a per-game basis. Flacco, you know, because of the injuries and the receiving core around him getting just decimated, wasn't nearly as productive. Coming off this injury, I have not heard a single person tout Flacco as a QB2 that they want this draft season. No, no. And part of it is just the weapons around him or or lack thereof. You know, if you're arguably your best weapon is what, a 37-year-old coming off of a a serious injury and your your second best receiving weapon or maybe your third, I guess, behind Kamar Aiken is a rookie who has never played and has, you know, very serious knee issues. I I just, I just don't see it. Even, even if, you know, Joe Flacco was back at 100%, and, and he probably should be, but, you know, coming off of a, a season-ending inju- uh, season injury, I should say, last year, you do have to kind of consider that, but there, there's just nothing around him. I think this is going to be, you know, a, a Ravens team that's well-coached and, you know, hangs in there as they have these last couple of years, but it's tough to find, you know, you really got to, you really got to dig deep to find ways to be excited about this offense. No, I, I agree, and if Perriman's healthy, he's got the blazing speed necessary to really make things interesting but he was very raw coming out of college anyway so with a one-year layoff you have to wonder if there's anything there to get excited about in 2016 maybe more of a 2017 sort of contributor or at least a second half of 2016 i wonder if he was just a product of playing with blake bortles yeah maybe you know any, anything's possible <laughs> can't we can't rule that out uh but i mean the baltimore sneakily attempted the most passes in the league last season and it, it they never you know they never strike you as a, a kind of downfield passing attack but you know, if, if they're kind of in a similar situation last year where they find themselves playing from behind quite a bit, you know, maybe there's a little bit of value there, but it, that's, it's just so hit or miss. Yeah, it, it really is. But Mark Trestman's offenses could be productive from a passing mm-hmm. standpoint. That's why the running backs are interesting too. a guy like Justin Forsett. If he emerges to be the, the primary ball carrier and the pass catching back, he's a tremendous value right. where he's going right now. But if that workload gets chopped up into a few pieces, which could definitely happen, that's a problem. And then the receiving core there's more depth because they added Mike Wallace. I think Kamar Aiken, people are underestimating a little bit because of Smith and Perriman getting back on the field this week. But Aiken had 50 catches in his last eight games last season. So he at least has that rapport with Flacco, mm-hmm. which in full point PPR leagues could make him somewhat useful. The problem, I guess, is if Smith and Perriman are healthy, does that kind of automatically relegate Aiken to the you know wide receiver three status? Probably, but at the same time, I don't know if Perriman's going to get the volume of a true two. So it might yeah. be flipped where Aiken's kind of the two, the possession right. guy, and then Perriman's the three that stretches the field. Maybe like a like a Devery Henderson type role with the Saints, which <laughs> yes. does not get you excited from a fantasy standpoint, no, or a no, Kenny no. Stills type player, like a guy that yeah. he can burn and make big plays here and there, but he's going to catch two or three passes some weeks, mm-hmm. and then he's going to score on a couple of those a different week, and it's a best ball scenario and really nothing else. Well, we spoke about this either on the podcast last week or on the radio show over the weekend uh, with, with myself and James Anderson. With Brashad Perriman you know, isn't going to come back and be Devontae Parker or you know, even have the same level of production that you're expecting from a, a guy like Kevin White, who is in a similar situation missing all of last season. He's not that that you know that type of a high, high-end talent where – 
you just say, you know, get him on the field and, and we'll see what happens. You know, I think there's going to be a learning curve with him. There was going to be last year before the injury. And, and I think that kind of might've set him back a little bit more. So for me, you know, anything you get from Brashad Perriman this season is probably icing on top of the cake. Is there a cake? There might be. I hope there's a cake. I don't think so. There probably won't be. Nobody ever gets in their car thinking I'm drunk, I'm driving and I'm going to kill someone tonight. They might think I've had a few drinks, but I'm okay to drive or I only live a few minutes from here or I've gotten away with this plenty of times before. And they think like that right up until the moment they kill someone. Thousands of people are killed in drunk driving crashes every year. It's better to be safe than sorry. Download the free Safe Rider app to help you call a taxi or send a friend to your location when you're when you've been drinking. Drive sober or get pulled over. Two preseason games going down tonight, Nick. Uh, Falcons, Dolphins. I mean, keeping an eye on Arian Foster is is kind of important because his stock continues to creep up a bit. I mean, if it's a sixth-round pick to get him, I'm okay with it there compared to some of the other backs that might be available. I like him more than Frank Gore, more than Jonathan Stewart because I can see a little more upside. But there's a lot of risk, and if Ajayi is running well, that could really leave the Dolphins in a position where they don't have to give Arian Foster the workloads he was seeing throughout his time in Houston, which may be a way of keeping him on the field. And if he's on the field even for 50% of the snaps, on a per-touch basis, there's still something there. That's why I'm willing to take him that high, that high being round six again. Well, I mean, you're taking him to be, you know, you're kind of an RB2 at the best, you know, just basically a rotational running back to say, you know, I have this guy as an option if he's healthy and productive, or are you taking him with the belief that, He's going to be my everyday starter as an RB2, or every week starter, I should say. I think you'd be taking him more as like your flex, your third running back in. Some people are going to take him as a two. If it's a zero running back strategy, maybe a one, which I think is too thin because of the the injury risk. But way too much injury risk. Yeah, it's it's I'm not staying away at the current price. And some people are starting to back off because they feel like he's missed 23 games in the last three years. That's that's a lot. Yeah, a lot of games. It is that is a lot of games. That I I agree, but per touch could be as good as pretty much any any like non top five top six back even at age 30 I think that's the kind of ceiling that Foster still has uh Cowboys Seahawks also going down tonight we're going to see Ezekiel Elliott for the first time Dak Prescott's been the MVP of the preseason so far hopefully there's a trophy uh in his there, future there really for that should be, right it's kind of like winning in the NBA summer league you know every year they, they crown an MVP and there's like somewhat of a running joke that that player just ends up being terrible and I feel like it would kind of end up being the same result in the NFL preseason. I'm intrigued by Dak, though, because yeah. he's got a combination of skills that, at least as a backup, is so much more interesting than what most NFL backups can do. Maybe Cowboys fans are excited because they think they've got the guy after Tony Romo on the roster now. But a good watch, nonetheless, if you're checking out that game uh, later tonight. Kristen Michael versus Alex Collins is kind of important. I mean, the entire Seahawks depth chart behind Thomas Rawls mm-hmm. to me is still an ongoing battle. So it's worth keeping an eye on who's getting reps, you know, who's who's in the game earliest. Like that right. that's kind of the important thing to keep in mind. This is the closest thing to week one that we're gonna see before the games begin to count. So the way players are brought into the game, that order could be an indication of what the true hierarchy is. Right. And and each team handles this differently as far as, you know, how many series or how many quarters the the first team offense is playing. But yeah, like you said, I mean, if if Christine Michael comes out and and plays the first two series, doesn't play the rest of the game, only has four carries. Alex Collins comes in as a rookie and, you know, has 15 carries in the second half. That doesn't necessarily mean anything whatsoever as far as Alex Collins, you know, being ahead of Christine Michaels. So no, I'm I'm right there with you. I think you got to watch the order more than anything else. One other thought on the Falcons Dolphins game, we've talked about the running backs, but I want to watch Devontae Parker a bit more. I want to see where he's at. I mean, his size, his speed, 
he's the kind of guy that can get targets in the red zone, which is something you don't expect much of from Jarvis Landry. And if Parker can emerge to be the true number one receiver there, Landry to me seems like a player that even in full PPR leagues will take a significant step back from last year. Like I could see him going down to 85 or 90 catches and just being a guy that accumulates and is useful in those formats. But in non PPR leagues, especially I don't think I'm going anywhere near Jarvis Landry. And a big part of the reason for that is the presence of Devonte Parker, who was coming on strong down the stretch last year. I believe five of his last six games, he was over 50 yards. All three of his TDs came during that span. So he just looks like the kind of guy that could take a massive step forward in year two, especially since he was a little bit dinged up to yep. begin his first season. Yeah, right. I mean, we really didn't see anything from Devontae Parker until week 12, week 13. But, you know, if there is anything to take from that, you look at the last four weeks of the regular season uh, last year when Devontae Parker was back. I mean, Jarvis Landry was still getting 18 targets, 10 targets, 11 targets, 11 targets. So, I mean, I think in theory you are right. You know, if Devontae Parker is a legitimate, you know, number one, number one A receiver, as we think he can be this year, then there's going to be that default, you know, reduction in receptions and reduction in targets for Jarvis Landry. But, you know, I guess they do still have Kenny Stills. You know, it's going to be tough to to kind of factor in all three of those guys, but they just find ways to get Jarvis Landry the ball. I, I think he's he's just such a dynamic athlete and such a dynamic talent that even if he's not getting in the end zone, there's still a lot of value there in PPR. He does find a way to get open on almost every mm-hmm. play. So unless something over the top emerges, the floor is pretty good. I, I just wonder if last year was about as good as it yeah. can get. I did see an interview with Adam Gaze where he he said they don't run plays for Jarvis Landry. You know, like there are other receivers. He said, you know, will you know, you're not going to force force anyone the ball, but you'll say, you know, all right, we're, we're looking for Devonte Parker on this play. Like he said they, they just don't do that with Jarvis Landry. He's just so good at getting open that all of his targets are like self-manufactured second and third read on mm-hmm. every play essentially, right. which yeah. again, maybe it's, that's it's good. what that means in coded coach language. Yeah. It's good. It's good though for a possession type receiver. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it presents a nice floor, but I, I just, again, I don't think it gets any better than it did last sure. year with yeah. Jarvis Landry. Do you enjoy playing fantasy football for cash but are tired of the same game offerings or hosting sites keeping too much of the prize pool? If so, check out MaximumFantasySports.com. They offer a variety of season-long and DFS fantasy football leagues with features no other website has, and they pay out 90% of the prize pool. Does your state prevent you from playing in a DFS league, and are you not interested in a full-season league? MFS runs monthly fantasy football leagues known as four-week frenzy leagues. They're available to you. Forget salary cap leagues and use the online draft for all of your full season and short term leagues at MaximumFantasySports.com. If private leagues interest you, register your own redraft and keeper leagues using options like in-game player changes, multi-team trades, team quarterbacks, bi-week rollover, and more. You can even run your survivor pools, confidence pools, pick'em pools, and squares pools for free at MaximumFantasySports.com. Join today. All right, our main topic of this show is going to be ideal draft position. Where do you want to be if you can choose your own draft slot this year? A lot of leagues have that. The NFFC uh, is among them. But, of course, the wrinkle with the NFFC, if you haven't heard us talk about it before, is that the order in round three is the same as the order in round two. It's called third round reversal. So after one and two snakes like it normally does, you go back to the end of round one and begin the order from there again. So if you pick 12th in a league like that, you pick at 12, 13, and 25, which significantly changes the value of that third player. Whereas if it's not a third round reversal, it's 12, 13, and 36. So you're getting an early third rounder as opposed to a late third rounder if you're at the end of round one. So that's a factor to keep in mind, I think. If you don't have third round reversal, 
your willingness to be at the beginning of the order goes further. I think even with it, you want to be in the top three to get a crack at one of those three receivers. I've seen some people say, let's go as far as five because I'll be happy with Gurley or David Johnson. So one of the big three receivers or one of those top two running backs. But then from there, they want to avoid the middle and jump more to the back of the order somewhere around 10th, 11th, or 12th. So that way they can get a couple picks lumped together near the top of the board. So if you're picking first in that format, you're not getting back on the clock until what, 37? Well, you go you go one twenty four and then thirty six. Oh, right, you get your pick at the end. Yeah, okay. but it's okay. so it's yeah. so strange. Say, that seems just wildly extreme. No, because yeah, you're so you're so used to just seeing the, the order where if you pick first, you get back to back second and third rounders. Where you're sitting there at the end, you make your pick in two, and you're like, all right, I'm gonna pick again. And you're like, no, wait, no, I'm not because yeah. I have to wait twelve more picks before I don't, uh, it comes you, up again. You don't. I don't want to be number one in that scenario. There's no player, and you know, Antonio Brown is as much of a fantasy god i guess as there's been in, in recent memory but there's just no player to me that's worth that type of weight so the the question about antonio brown that came up today and it's i'm sure people have asked this question before but i hadn't really thought about it this draft season when you're thinking about the number one overall pick do you downgrade brown at all because of ben roethlisberger's injury history i mean he gets dinged up a lot and i, I felt like last year it was only really bad for antonio brown when it wasn't Landry Jones behind Ben Roethlisberger. When it got down to Michael Vick, that's <laughs> when all bets were off because Vick was like Ryan Lindley or Kevin yeah. Cobb or John Skelton out there, kind of like the year the Arizona quarterbacks killed Larry Fitzgerald's value. Yep. That's more or less what happened when Michael Vick was playing briefly last year for Pittsburgh. And I think with Landry Jones being entrenched as the backup right now, that drop isn't as bad as it could be. But then you think about Eli Manning, who never misses a game. Like He just doesn't mm-hmm. miss games because he doesn't take the same hits that Roethlisberger does. That is kind of a factor because you think about late in the year, if you had to break the tie between the two, I mean, you might have a clear preference. You might just like Beckham better. You might just like Brown better. But if you're really going back and forth on it, to me, it seems like one of the few things you could look at that actually separates them a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, the Big Ben injury history you know, is a real thing, but at the same time, he's never missed more than four games in a season, which is pretty incredible considering how banged up he actually is all the time. Um, I mean, 12 games last season was tied for his fewest uh, of his career. So, I mean, if you want to use that data, and, and obviously he is getting older, he's you know going to be 35 in March. Um, you know, you, you can kind of maybe say this is the year that something actually knocks him out. You know, he can't keep playing through these severe injuries that would probably keep a lot of guys out, but. I mean, at the same time, I, I'm not somebody who likes to draft hypothetically with things like that. You know, for all we know, he could play 16 games like he did in 2013 and 2014. And, and maybe last year is kind of more the blip on the radar. Yeah, I think there's also a difference between how he plays now and how he played four yeah. or five years ago. Right. I think and you have to think they're telling him to be smarter as he gets older. He, not, not that he's ever does, been Does that work? I don't know. Ben, just be smarter. Just yeah, make better I, decisions. Yeah, that's my coach speak uh, as, as <laughs> that I bring to the table. I mean, I, he's never been a real runner. I think he he's a mobile quarterback, but he's not a guy who he hasn't ran for over 100 yards in six years. So, I mean, that's been on the decline. Um, I, I don't I mean, I guess the hits that he's taking aren't necessarily, you know, he's not scrambling out of the pocket and getting lit up. It's, you know, he follows through and his and his finger slams into a helmet. It's, it's little things like that. He, he seems to be unlucky, I guess, when it comes to injuries. But, you know, the nice thing is that if he is hurt, there's a pretty good chance he's playing through it. So you, you don't necessarily have to worry quite as much as you would with with some more delicate quarterbacks. Okay, so we're kind of in agreement, though, that we want to be near the front if the third if the third round if reversal third is round not reversal. on. If if the third round reversal is on, we want to be near the back because then you get picks at like 12, 13, and 25. Like it makes mm-hmm. more sense to be 
after pick nine, roughly, like nine, 10, 11, 12, probably. And if you were ranking them, you'd go in reverse order because, yep. like, for the NFFC, you set up one through 12. What's your preferred order? When your name comes up, it gives you the highest ranked one. So you might go one, two, three, and then 12, 11, 10, nine, maybe all the way back up to the front. Or after nine, I'd probably go back to four or five. Yeah, and at then, that point, it's somewhat of a wash. Then it's like, okay, yeah, you look at a few different mocks, but what are you the most satisfied with? Being in the middle, I'm finding you get teams that are built more around running backs because you're going to take one of Gurley or David Johnson uh, early on. Maybe you end up pushing up AP a little bit. I'd rather take Allen Robinson at six than any other player. I think that's where he belongs after those two running backs, after uh, Gurley and David Johnson are gone. So if I got stuck with the six pick, that's what I would do. I see a lot of people take DeAndre Hopkins in that spot. And I wonder with Hopkins how much the Houston offense will lean on the running game. Last year, they couldn't really do it because... Arian Foster missed a lot of time. The backups weren't effective. But if Lamar Miller is as good as everyone thinks he's going to be, and I think he will be very good, they're going to be a lot more balanced. With that, they're going to probably have fewer attempts as a team throwing the ball through the air. So while Hopkins could lose receptions, he has to increase in efficiency. And it might be an upgrade at quarterback, enough of an upgrade to where he can make up most of the difference. But compared to Allen Robinson, so much less has changed with the way I think the Jags are going to run their offense versus the way Houston might run theirs. Yeah, I think that's fair. The only thing I would say about that is I think Jacksonville got a lot better on the ground. I think adding Chris Ivory, you know, is going to eliminate the need to throw inside the 20-yard line as much as they did last season. And Allen Robinson being, you know, 6'5", physical, strong, you know, I think they're still going to be targeting him in the red zone. But, you know, I think there's also going to be times where they're not, you know, they're not getting stuffed on second and four, you know, like they were last season. So I think there's going to be a little bit of a reduction in touchdowns there, you know, 14 was probably the ceiling that we're going to see, I think, for Allen Robinson. Um, But you talked about the efficiency with DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, 111 receptions on 192 targets. You got to think the target numbers come down. I think the efficiency goes up kind of by default. I mean, the quarterback situation wasn't great uh, alongside the running back situation in Houston. So, you know, you had the additions of Will Fuller, a first-round receiver, a third-rounder in Braxton Miller, who seems to be progressing pretty well for a guy who's really been playing receiver for about 14 months. Uh, of his football career so you know the added weapons I think you know by default it kind of in your mind at least it says all right well they actually have real receivers around him maybe that takes away two or three targets per game from Hopkins but at the same time I think this is still an elite you know top tier receiver in the NFL and and you're breaking in a new quarterback in a new system and I think he's going to be he's going to be looking for Hopkins you know more often than any of these other guys well he's going to be Drafted like a top five receiver, I think it's a good chance he finishes top 12. Like, very good chance. That's why he's being taken that high. But to me, it's more likely he falls between 7 and 12 at the end of the year among Mm -hmm. wide receivers than in the top six in terms of his fantasy output. Yeah, I I mean, my question to you is if we talked about the top three receivers, you know, whether you prefer Brown, Julio Jones, Odell Beckham, it it seems Brown is is still the consensus, you know, in most leagues uh, with, with Beckham and Jones kind of being more neck and neck for that two spot. But would you rather pair one of these three guys, you know, with a, a tier two or tier three guy? And if you look down the list, maybe you grab them at, you know, one or two and you get a, a T.Y. Hilton or, you know, a Sammy Watkins as your other receiver. Or would you rather go, you know, if you're drafting maybe toward the end in a traditional stake, uh, snake draft, I should say, and, and grab, you know, Allen Robinson and Des Bryant or, you know, Robinson and Jordy Nelson, something like that. So, you, you know, two high end receivers or one very high end receiver and kind of a, a high mid tier receiver. I'd rather get the two on the end, I think, as opposed to the beginning. I think so, too. I think you get a little more per game output from both spots, even though you're getting the best player 
by being in the number one spot or number two spot or even as high as three. I mean, how, how big is the gap between Julio Jones and Allen Robinson? Is it enough that you know, you're willing to to kind of sacrifice that second receiver spot. I, I, don't, I just don't know that it is. That gap to me is smaller than the gap between a guy like Keenan Allen or Brandon Cooks and then Hilton and Landry. Yeah. Like, because those other two guys, Allen and Cooks, the kind of guys mm-hmm. you're going to get coming right back through. Mike Evans is also an option. Right. I don't mind pushing up Mike Evans. I really, really like Mike Evans. He just seems like a, a complete game-changing receiver. So I, I would have no problem taking him on the turn. I think I... If gun to head, which I never want to play in a league like that. <laughs> I would take Mike Evans over Keenan Allen, Brandon Cooks, oh yeah, and Brandon Marshall. And oh, ADP yeah. wise, right now he's going after all three of them. So if, if I'm at like pick twelve, I might go Gronk and Evans, or you know, so if Allen Robinson somehow fell, I'd go Robinson and Evans and be right. really happy with that. It's like we said last week. If Mike Evans would have finished with six or seven touchdowns last season, I think he's probably right on par with Allen Robinson. And it just seems if he's healthy, he's not going to catch three touchdowns again. No, that's it's just it's obscene. I, I don't know. I think you never want to draft, I guess, you know, with raising expectations significantly. But it's 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 going to be impossible for him to catch that few touchdowns. Thinking about the draft preferences, is there a spot you'd want to be if you were planning on taking a quarterback early? Because the earliest you would do it would be probably what mid to late round four. That's where ADP data says, you know, early round four, I guess, for Cam, you know, you look at he's going 37th overall trending more towards 38th i guess according to nffc so 12 team league you know start of round four so you'd have to be early part of the round with third round reversal to actually get cam there and if you didn't want cam but you wanted luck then you could probably deal with being at the end of round one based on the way that plays out and look at him at the four five turn i just wonder how much your desire to take a quarterback early shapes your your draft preference i think it i think it makes a big difference if you want a quarterback early you have to bank in one of the ends. If you're in the middle, you can be a lot more patient because you're probably not going to get caught in a bad run. I guess that's one of the only good things about being in the middle of the draft. Football, baseball, basketball, it doesn't matter what the sport is. When you're in the middle of the round, if there's a run on the last good receivers or the top three to six tight ends all go within 10 picks of each other, you got to crack at one of them before the last one's gone right. if you're in the middle. But if you're on an end, the whole run can play out to the point where you don't even have a choice. You have to just avoid the position for a couple more rounds because there's not enough value there. How many quarterbacks are worth considering at the start of the fourth round or somewhere in the fourth round? I mean, Cam's ADP is you know about five picks higher than Aaron Rodgers, who's about nine picks higher than Andrew Luck, who's about seven picks higher than Russell Wilson. And then things, yeah, I think that's kind of the, the top four are those quarterbacks. If you don't get one of those four, are you basically happy to get any one of Breeze, Breeze Roethlisberger, Brady, Bortles, you know, Palmer, Manning, there's just kind of that very, very large second tier of quarterbacks that if you don't get one of the top four, you're pretty satisfied to have on your roster. Yeah, I think the top four versus the field makes a lot of sense. I think Breeze is a little more expensive than he should be because he still has the home road split problem. Uh, Had that big 500-yard game last year that really kind of skewed the overall season numbers. If he hadn't had that game, if he just thrown for like 270 in that game, I think he'd be going behind a guy like Ben Roethlisberger. Um, there's also the Tom Brady factor too. You know, how do you, how do you handle him? What do you do for your quarterback while he's suspended? But the price on Brady seems very favorable. It's not a ridiculous discount, but it's enough of a discount where I think it's appropriate to take him. If you haven't taken a quarterback and you're sitting there early to mid round seven and you realize, Hey, the way my roster is built right now, I can get a really high ceiling from Brady from week five on. And I like enough of the QB twos where three or four rounds after that, you know, you can get Winston or Mariota, 
or Tyrod Taylor, or maybe even Phillip Rivers, depending on how far he falls, and I'm going to be just fine yeah. without investing too much in the quarterback position by using you know a first, fourth, or fifth round pick on him. Yeah, I mean, if Tom Brady wasn't suspended, would he be ahead of Breeze to you? Pretty, yeah, pretty, oh, yeah. pretty he, handily. I mean, he, is he right up there with Wilson and Luck? I, to me, those top four still stay the same. Brady would be it'd be yeah it'd be a toss up probably between Brady and Wilson, yeah. which is is. Like maybe kind of, I guess Luck's pretty close to there too, based right. on the current ADPs. I think he'd go behind Luck, but ahead of Wilson. Wilson would probably just fall a little bit. People yeah. would probably be taking Brady where they're taking Wilson. Wilson would come down like five to ten picks, and then maybe the other quarterbacks would slightly mm-hmm. dip down as a result of of Brady not having a suspension. But it's interesting exercise. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's the most fun to just talk about the hypothetical, really. All right, well, now it's time for our safe sleeper pick sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. Many of us will be downing beers at our fantasy football drafts, which leads to bad decisions in the later rounds or worse decisions like getting behind the wheel after the draft. Today's safe sleeper pick, Tajay Sharp. Got to look at what he's doing in Tennessee right now. Kendall Wright's been banged up uh, throughout this preseason. Sharp's building up that rapport with Marcus Mariota. And I wonder if the Titans might just have enough production going around in that passing game for three different guys to be useful. Delaney Walker is going to get his as the tight end. I think Rashard Matthews is the number one. But as far as your possession receiver goes, your full point PPR guy who's going to catch a lot of passes uh, around the line of scrimmage, be the guy that tries to move the chains for this offense when they do throw it on third down. I think Tajay Sharp is going to be very heavily targeted by Mariota throughout this season. Yeah, I mean, to some degree, what you think of this Titans offense is kind of mirrored in what you think Marcus Mariota can progress to in year two. If, I mean, if you think he can take a big step forward, then, you know, all these guys value increases fairly drastically. And yeah, it's just, it's like we say about a lot of these teams, like someone has to catch the passes, you know, Delaney Walker caught 62 more passes than, or excuse me, 56 more passes than anyone else on this team last year. And it's hard to imagine that gap, you know, repeating again, especially with Doriel Green Beckham out of the picture. And and I think part of the reason that they were comfortable trading him to Philadelphia is the emergence of a guy like Tajay Sharp. I mean, you don't just get rid of a guy, even though there were some off the field issues with with Greenback. If you don't just get rid of a guy, uh, you know, that caliber of talent in a receiving core that's not all that talented if you don't if you don't have faith in the guys behind him. So, you know, Tajay Sharp, very, very much unproven. But if Marcus Mariota can turn into, you know, an average to above average NFL starter in year two, I mean, this is a guy who could easily get to 50 catches. I think this could be a good chance of that happening, too, because the running game will take a lot of the pressure off. And, and Mariota, to me, was a very good prospect, not far off from any grades you'd see for Jameis Winston. He could do some different things, of course, with the knee sprains last year. We didn't see Mariota run as much as he probably will this year. So that gives him more of a floor from a week-to-week fantasy context as well. If that's happening, that opens up more opportunities for them to play overall, right? They're going to run more plays because they're converting more first downs. And with that, you get more attempts to pass. So I I look at them as being a slightly different team this year because of the way they're made up. Not a Mike Malarkey fan or anything like that, but I just... Whoa, what? Whoa, yeah, shocker, right? (laughs) That's a take. That's a really hot take. But I also think we're maybe getting tricked by how much he's suggesting they're going to run the ball i mean they're going to run it a lot because they're built for it but i don't think they're going to be extreme to the point of running it 55 or 60 percent of the time they're going to be closer to balance than we probably think yeah i mean you you hit the nail on the head i'm still recovering from your bashing mike malarkey comment well that was was that a bash <laughs> like that i'm not that i'm just not a fan yeah i mean you you're coming out as not against mike malarkey that's just Unbelievable. I'm just take. not for him. I'm not. I'm not opposing Takes him. Are heating up. I don't know. I've, I'm. I'm not sure that was actually against him. But all right. Well, that's going to wrap things up 
for today's episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. Thanks for joining me today, Tag. Nicely, nicely just done. Wanted one more, one more excuse to say tag. I really did. I <laughs> really did. Ch- I, I bought a, a few new shirts a couple weeks ago, and as soon as I get home, I'm going to go I'm just bring out my entire closet, do a complete, comprehensive tag check before I wear any more shirts the rest of my just life. Just do something else with the rest of your day. Don't remove all the tags <laughs> from your shirts. Calm, calm down. All right, Mario Puig and I are back with you on Friday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.